This is Chapter 5, Divine Providence, page 673 in the back of the book. If you don't know which one, ask Ray. Now this morning, we're going to deal with uh, just paragraph 1. So I want to talk about the uh, fundamental concept of divine providence today. So let's pray and ask God's blessing as uh, we study our confession this morning. Father, thank you for the privilege of coming to your house on the day of rest and worship that you have set apart. And thank you for this day. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your beloved son. We see the table spread out before us here, and it reminds us of your love and your grace and what you were willing to pay for us. And we pray, Lord, that as we draw near to you today, that you would also draw near to us. Teach us from your holy word and bless us as we consider the insights of our forefathers. And we pray, Lord, that you would write the truth of the scripture contained in their insights upon our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, our English word, providence, comes from the Latin, providentia, which means foresight or prudence. This word providence occurs only once in the English translation of the New Testament where it depicts human prudence. And that's in Acts 24 and verse 2. And when he was called, Tertullus began to accuse him, that is Paul, saying, by you we enjoy much peace and that by your providence evils are corrected for this nation. There in that text, it translates the Greek word pronoia, which occurs twice in the New Testament in Acts 24.2, where we just read also in Romans 13.14. And both times in the New Testament, pronoia depicts human forethought. So providence means men's good judgment, their prudence and farsightedness and forethought in the management of affairs and resources. When applied to God, providence refers to God's prudent care and management of creation. And this is the way that our confession of faith uses the word providence. Providence is God's prudent care his management and care, his conservation and management of the universe that he created. That's what his providence is. That's how they use it. In 5.1, the good uh, creator of all things in his infinite power and wisdom does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things by his most wise and holy providence, by his most wise and holy prudent care and management. And again in 5.2, although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly so that there's not any befalls any by chance without his providence, prudent care and management. Yet by the same providence, prudent care and management, he orders them to fall out according to the nature of second causes. Again, in, in uh, paragraph three, God in his ordinary providence, that, it, that is, in his ordinary 
prudent care and management of the world that he made makes use of means. Again, in 5.4, the almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence, prudent care and management of the universe, that his determinate counsel extends even to the first fall. And finally, they use the word again the same way in 5.7, where they say, as the providence, God's prudent care and management of the world he made, as the prudent care and management of God does in general reach to all creatures, so after a more special manner, it, that is God's providence, his prudent care and management of the universe, takes care of his church and disposes all things to the good thereof. So, therefore, in this chapter, when the confession refers to the providence of God, it speaks of the prudent care and management by which the creator upholds everything he created and governs everything that happens. It's his prudent care and management of the universe that he made. Now, as we saw in a previous lesson, when we gave an overview of the original creation, our confession presents in paragraph one the fundamental concept of God's prudent care and management of the universe, of his providence. Then the incomprehensible mysteries of his providence in paragraphs two to four. The moral discrimination of his providence between the righteous and the wicked. And finally, the redemp that's in paragraphs five and six. And in paragraph seven, the redemptive focus of his providence. That is that his prudent care and management has a special focus, which is on his redeemed community, the church. Now today, I'm not going to go any further than paragraph one. Today, I want to give you an overview and the fundamental concept of divine providence as it's set out in paragraph one. This fundamental concept is as follows. God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all his creatures and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence, prudent care and management of the universe to the end for which they were created according unto his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. Now the, con the confession brings this paragraph together by combining both the Westminster Confession and also the First London Confession. I'm going to read you the Westminster Confession first, and then I'm going to read you the first London Confession, uh, Article 5, and you can see how these things were blended and combined in, by our Baptist fathers. The Westminster Confession says, God, the great creator of all things. 
does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. So you can see that the backbone, skeleton, structure, and essential content of what our Baptist fathers wrote came from the Westminster Confession of Faith. And yet, listen to this. This is what the Baptists of an earlier generation wrote in Article 5 of the First London Confession. God, in his infinite power and wisdom, does dispose all things to the end for which they were created. That neither good nor evil befalls any by chance or without his providence, and that whatever befalls the elect is by his appointment for his glory and their good. You notice that there are at least two phrases in our 1689 that didn't come from the Westminster, but that came from the First London Confession, namely his infinite power and wisdom, and the other phrase, to the end for which they were created. So they took these two documents of a former generation, and they blended them. They, they used a Presbyterian statement for the fundamental content and structure, and yet they blended in what the Baptists of the earlier generation had done. So I told you that from time to time, I'm going to reveal and disclose to you exactly how they use this combining method of putting the things together. Because you're just reading it, you wouldn't necessarily realize exactly what they did, but that's what they did. And that, that why they did it in order to express unity and continuity, both with the Baptists and with the Presbyterians of the former generation. Now, what do we have then in this paragraph? I'm sorry, yeah, paragraph. It's going to say chapter. Well, this paragraph presents the fundamental concept of divine providence by highlighting seven distinguishing features or aspects of God's prudent care and management of the universe. First, they specify the author of divine providence, God, the good creator. Then they uncover the foundation. They added this foundation from the first London Confession. Divine providence, his prudent care and management of the universe, rests on the foundation of his omniscience and omnipotence. In his infinite power, and wisdom. The substance of divine providence is next. He does uphold, dispose, and govern. That is, uphold, preservation, dispose, and govern, government. Preservation and government, the two aspects of God's prudent care and management of creation. The scope of divine providence comes next. All creatures and things, so that nothing happens outside the realm of God's prudent care and management. Then they feature the manner of divine providence by his most wise and holy providence. The cause of divine providence, his foreknowledge and choice. 
And finally, the design of divine providence to the praise of the glory of, then it enumerates his attributes, to the praise of the glory of God, his wisdom, his goodness, etc. So now let's spend the rest of our time this morning opening up these seven features by which our confession defines the fundamental concept of God's prudent care and management of the universe. The author of divine providence, the triune creator, God, the good creator of all things. Providence, prudent care and management of the universe is the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. First of all, God the Father, Ephesians 1.11, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. God the Son, Hebrews 1.3, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, and God the Holy Spirit. Job 33, verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit uphold, preserve, and govern the universe. The author is the triune creator. The foundation of providence is divine omniscience and omnipotence in his infinite power, omnipotence, and wisdom, infinite wisdom, omniscience. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. He is omniscient. And in Jeremiah 32, 17 to 19, Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Omnipotence. God does what he does because God is who he is. Only an omniscient and omnipotent God could uphold and govern this universe. Uh, unless God is omniscient and omnipotent, there's no such thing as divine providence. Only an omnipotent, omniscient being could be the God of providence. And then, thirdly, the substance of divine providence, which is twofold, preservation and government. And they use four words to describe this. Does uphold, that's preservation. Divine providence upholds all reality. And government, direct, dispose, and govern. Divine providence rules history, directs it, disposes it, and governs it. So the substance of providence is of his prudent care and management of the universe that he created 
is that he upholds it or preserves it, preservation. Divine providence preserves everything he made. And government. Divine providence rules history. God preserves everything that exists, all reality, and God rules everything that happens, all history. All reality is conserved, preserved, upheld by God in his providence. All history is governed, ordered, and ruled by God. Everything that is, he upholds. Everything that happens, he governs. That's the providence of God. Does that make sense? So, first of all, divine providence upholds reality. The creator of heaven and earth keeps the universe in existence. The creator of life maintains life. He takes away life. He renews life for animals and human beings. Now, we do not feel him keeping us alive at every moment, but he's doing it. We do not see him keeping heaven and earth in existence at every moment, but he's doing it. And exactly how God performs this remarkable work of preserving life and upholding the universe is mysterious. But Acts 17, 25 to 28 says, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. For in him we live and move and have our being. And then divine providence rules history. The creator of the universe controls, directs, disposes, rules, governs everything that happens in space and time. He governs the affairs of nature, of men, of human beings, individuals, and of nations. The Bible affirms this repeatedly, plainly, and even emphatically. And he governs history even though people choose freely to behave like they want to behave, without any sense that they're being controlled by God. And again, exactly how God performs this remarkable work of governing the free choices of human beings and angels is mysterious. But we must remember that finite minds cannot fathom the ways and the power of our omniscient and omnipotent creator. Psalm 135 verse 6 says this, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that he did in heaven and in earth in the seas, all the deep places. Daniel 4, verse 35 says, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, for he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What are you doing? But then Isaiah is even more bold and speaks about how God controls the evil choices of people who have no intention whatsoever of doing God's will. He talks about the Assyrian in Isaiah 10, 6 and 7. And God says about the Assyrian, I will send him against a hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath. I will give him a charge to take the spoil 
and take the prey and tread them down like the mud of the streets. So he says, I'm going to send the Assyrian to destroy wicked, hypocritical Israel. Then it goes on to say, verse 7, how be it, he means not so. It's not the Assyrian's intention to do what I want. The Assyrian won't even admit that I exist. Neither does his heart think so. But it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. So what's he doing? He's expanding his empire. He's conquering the world. He's not serving God. He hates the God of Israel and Judah. He thinks he's an idol, like the gods of the other nations that he destroyed. But God says, yeah, even though this man has no intention whatsoever of doing my bidding, I'm in control of him. And he is the axe in my hand, and he has no intention whatsoever of serving me. Well, how can that be possible? How can God completely control the free moral choices of human beings without turning them into a puppet? You know, if I were omniscient and omnipotent, I could explain it to you. And if you were omniscient and omnipotent, you'd understand it perfectly. Right? You, you remember Ray's little dog that used to be here? It's above our pay grade. It's like trying to teach algebra to a dog. Can't it, the dog can't learn algebra. Not because there's anything wrong with the teacher or anything wrong with the algebra. It's because the dog doesn't have the mental capacity to learn algebra. And we don't have the capacity to understand the power of an omnipotent God who is able to control the free moral choices of Assyrians without turning them into puppets or becoming the author or approver of their sin. Divine providence rules history. Divine providence upholds reality. That's the substance or twofold essence. Now, the confession gets into the scope of divine providence. He governs and upholds all creatures and things from the least to the greatest. The confessions appeal to Matthew 10, verses 29 to 31 to talk about this universal scope. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So they mention the fact that God is even in control of feeding birds and all those things. However, let's take a look at this a little more closely. I'm going to go through in the order that they're found in Scripture. No other order than the order of appearance in Scripture. Specific things that the Bible specifically attributes to God's control. Specific details. So that the providence of God rules all of history. He controls everything that happens down to the minutest detail. 
Well, let's get started. First of all, he governs every illness and death. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am he, and there's no God with me. I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal, and there's none that can deliver out of my hand. God governs every rejection of good advice by ungodly men. 1 Samuel 2, 24 and 25. Eli says, no, my sons, for it's no good report that I hear. You make Jehovah's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, God will judge him. But if a man sin against Jehovah, who will entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they didn't listen to the voice of their father because Jehovah was minded to slay them. And again, in 2 Samuel 17, 14, in Absalom, and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For Jehovah had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that Jehovah might bring evil upon Absalom. And so the Bible's filled with statements like this. It's not just in general big picture things, you know, God in general runs the universe and he wound it up like a clock and said, here, go ahead, run. No, no. He is specifically and pointedly in control of every illness and death and every rejection of good advice by wicked people. Lots of times wicked people get good advice and they don't take it. God's in control of that. Just like he was with Eli's sons and Absalom and his fellow uh, rebels against David's kingdom. God governs every random chance event. Some people say there's no such thing as chance. All right, fine. If what you mean by that is that God's in control of everything and nothing happens by chance. Ah, but here's the thing. The Bible indicates that God is in control of chance. It says this, every random event. talks about the man who drew a bow at a venture and hit the king of Israel between the joints of the, of the harness. God was in control of that arrow. Just a lucky shot. God was in control of that lucky shot. From man's point of view, it was a lucky shot. From God's point of view, it was divinely ordained to kill a wicked king in fulfillment of his word. God's in control of the lucky shot. And Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of Jehovah. So you, you throw dice, and how it comes out, God is in control of how it, how it comes out. Every single time. He's in control of it. So yes, there, there are such things as random events. And the point is, God's in control of random and he orders them as he sees fit. Furthermore, he governs every household event and childbirth. Something very much on the minds of our household this morning. Except Jehovah, uh, Psalm 127. Uh, yeah, I should give you those references about chance. 
1 Kings 22, 28 and 34, the so-called lucky shot, and Proverbs 16, 33, the roll of the dice. Um, God's in control of them. And then uh, if to Psalm 127, 1 to 3, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, take rest late, and eat the bread of toil because he gives his beloved to sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of Jehovah, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And God governs every romance and marriage. Proverbs 19.14 Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from Jehovah. Again, God governs every war and conflict. Proverbs 21.31 The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but victory is of Jehovah. God governs every race and competition. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happens to them all. God governs the appointment of every government official. Daniel 4.32, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. God governs every event in the inanimate universe. Matthew 5.45, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven because he makes his son to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the just and the unjust And finally, he governs the salvation of every person by the gospel of grace. Romans 9, 16 through 19. So then, it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, that I might show in you my power, that my name might be published abroad in the earth. So then... He has mercy on whom he will, and whom he will he hardens. You'll say to me then, well, why does he still find fault? For who withstands his will? What does Paul say? Neighbor, no man, who are you to reply against God? Who do you think you are? God's not accountable to you. You're accountable to God. So God's in control, folks. Every illness and death, every rejection of good advice and counsel, Every so-called chance or random event, every household event and childbirth, every romance and marriage, every war and conflict, every race and competition, every uh, appointment of every government, every event in the inanimate universe, and every salvation and every application of the gospel of grace. God is in control of everything that happens in the universe, in the minutest detail. There is nothing outside the scope of his prudent care and management of the universe that he made. The Bible states this plainly, repeatedly, explicitly. 
as we saw in that last text, some people are going to say, well, wait a minute. Why does he still find fault for who withstands his will? Not today. We're not going to go into the mysteries of providence today. But God willing, next time, and I'm not really sure when next time will be, because next week I may be in Grand Rapids and the week after that, I don't know. But next time we come back to this, God willing, we'll deal with the mysteries of providence. And that's one of the mysteries of providence. How can God be a good God and a wise God and have complete control over sin? It's a mystery. But the Bible clearly teaches it. Now, this is a most, the next point, a little statement, it may seem obvious, but it's most significant, particularly in the light of what we just saw. The manner of providence. It says, by his most wise and holy, prudent care and management of the universe. The manner is that he manages the universe and he cares for the universe. He upholds reality and governs history with wisdom and holiness. Psalm 104, 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have done them all. The earth is full of your riches. Psalm 145, 7. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. In the way in which he manages and preserves everything he made and everything that happens, he does it in a way that is wise and holy. See, the thing is, why especially feature these aspects, wisdom and holiness, of the manner in which God governs and upholds the universe? Well, I would say this. Human beings have a tendency to sit in judgment on the manner in which God runs the world. We have a tendency, due to carnal pride, to think that we could run the world better than God does. Now, if we were infinitely wise and impeccably holy, we would run the world exactly as God runs it. And by faith, we humbly confess God's infinite wisdom and impeccable holiness in his preservation of reality and in his government of all history. Now, do you sense that there's a whole sermon just in that one little point? The Bible is replete, that is, there are whole lots of it, with references to people struggling with embracing God's holiness and wisdom in the way the world is run. Right? Just look at some of those things. He sets up over it whomsoever he will. I wonder whether if you were running the world, you would have set up in government the people that are currently in it. I suspect not. But you may have a vote, but you don't have infinite wisdom. 
Now, our wisdom is this. Our wisdom is not figuring out why God did what he did. Our wisdom is facing in humility and faith that from our limited perspective, we can never really fully, completely comprehend why God does what he does. We can't see it. I, I remember it was a great illustration of this in the book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer in a little chapter called God's Wisdom and Ours. Great book, by the way. One of the books that blessed me the most in my life as a young Christian. I was asked one time, what books blessed you the most as a young Christian? And there were two books, The Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink and Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And in Knowing God by J.I. Packer, he has a chapter called God's Wisdom and Ours. And he uses an illustration of this. And he talks about the fact that we are like people standing by the side of the tracks with all these tracks in a, st in a, in a, in a railroad yard where all these tracks and all these trains are running. And it looks like a complete jamble. And it doesn't make any sense to us. And we can't see it. But if we were up in the control tower, then we would see all the trains, all the tracks, exactly how they're all planned and moving together. And then Packer says this, wisdom is not thinking that God's going to take us up into the control tower and show us what he sees. Wisdom is in realizing that God alone is in the control tower and we're down on the side of the tracks and we're never going to see what he sees up in the control tower. We're always just going to see what we see from the, from the side of the tracks it looks like total confusion and we have to embrace by faith that our God is in the control tower and he knows what he's doing and he's doing it in complete holiness and in infinite wisdom. I thought that was a great illustration by Packer, don't you think? So, anyway, I think it's, that's the reason, in my opinion, why they, they feature these two aspects of the manner. Now, just briefly in closing, the call of the sorry the cause of God's prudent care and management is His infallible foreknowledge and free and immutable counsel or plan of His will. Scripture features the cause of divine providence. What is the cause of it? Ultimately, God preserves and rules the universe in accord with the good pleasure and purpose of his will, informed by his infallible omniscience, by which he knows all things actual and possible. And knowing everything possible that could happen, he sovereignly decides what will happen. And in his providence, he implements the plan and purpose for reality and history that he ordained before the foundation of the world. In Psalm 33, verse 10 and 11, it says, The Lord brings the counsel of the heathen to nothing. He makes the devices of the people to be of none effect. The counsel of the Lord stands fast forever. His thought, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. And Nebuchadnezzar said this, I praised and honored him that lives forever and ever, Daniel 4, 34 and 35, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing and he does according to his will 
in the army of heaven and in the inhabitants of the earth and no one can stay his hand or say to him what are you doing in Acts 2.23 speaking of the death of Christ him Jesus being delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God the God who know, knew everything that could happen decided by the free decision and choice of his own will what would happen and Ephesians 1.11 makes that clear. In whom we were made a heritage, having been foreordained according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel, the plan of action, the boule, plan of action, decision, resolution, plan of action of his own will. God, omniscient, knowing everything infallibly that could happen, devised of his own free will what would happen. And finally, why? The design of divine providence. What is the ultimate end of it all? The glory of God. It's in order that he would receive praise. It's for the praise of the glory of his attributes, wisdom, power, justice, goodness, mercy. Paul sums it up in Romans 11, 34 to 36. And we close with this. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it will be recompensed to him for of him and through him and unto him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The end of it all is that God would receive the glory, honor, and praise. Now may God be pleased to bless our study of providence this morning for his glory and for our good.